Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Making everyone happy on vacation isn't easy, but you know what is? Going to Aruba. All you have to do is walk out your door to find pristine pools, relaxing white sand beaches, and an island teeming with outdoor activities that'll put a smile on any face. You won't just feel great, you'll all feel great, filled with a calmer, more peaceful vibe that radiates Aruba's warmth. And the best part is, it never fades. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your family trip at aruba.com. The Gist is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer when you visit Stamps.com and use the promo code THEGIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Thursday, March 19th, 2015 from Slate. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Today is my favorite day. I just, I woke up, I was humming one shining moment. Oh yeah, college basketball. It's the start of the NCAA tournament. They tried to tell us the last two days were the starts. I told my girlfriend, no, no, today's the start. She's like, what are you doing the last two days? What were you watching? Oh, those were the games before the games. I am really going to annoy you. And everything is one shining moment. I give you the milk. One shining moment. We hop on the bus. And we already had, as of this taping, a great upset with a great in one shot. I I posted it on my Twitter account, Pesca me, Pesca M-I. You have R.J. Hunter, this player for Georgia State, draining a three-pointer. And in the background, you see his dad, who is injured in a conference tournament celebration. So it was already a celebration injury. And so he was riding on this scooter. Actually, not riding. He falls off the scooter. Kid makes the shot. The number 14 seed beats the number three. And dad falls off the scooter. That is everything you want in one shining moment. Your dad's on the floor. Um, here's the nonsense. These ads by Capital One. You got Spike Lee, Charles Barkley, and Samuel Jackson. And they Samuel L. Jackson. It's not a good name to say out loud, right? Samuel L. Jackson. You get what I'm saying. And they're going to Indianapolis. They're going to Indianapolis. But wait a minute. Charles Barkley didn't understand. They're going to Annapolis. They're in Annapolis, Maryland. And I'm not going to say something where if you've seen the ad, you're going to say, oh, I never thought of that. Everyone watching the ad has this thought. Wouldn't they have noticed this somewhere around Baltimore? Like, wouldn't they? They can't be in Annapolis before Spike and Samuel L. gets on Charles's case. It's just implausible. Then there's another one here. Here's tape of that. Hey, fellas, I just wrote the best new movie script ever. Sam, you can be the star. Spike, you can direct. Underwater Ninja. They're in a diner, and Charles has written a horrible script. Now, Spike says, I'm not going to do Underwater Ninja. That I buy. But then you have Samuel L. Jackson scoffing at the script. Are you familiar with Samuel L. Jackson's recent oeuvre? I think he would snap up Underwater Ninja. In fact, I think he'd sign on to three 
sequels and a prequel for Underwater Ninja, or as we call it, Throwing Stars on a Boat. On the show today, Maria Konnikova comes in to tell us if Fido's experiencing shaggy Freude, schadenfreude. And on the spiel, I talk about starting a very necessary conversation about macchiatos. But first, landmark legislation passed in the state of Utah. Is it a compromise that offers hope for other states? Last week, the Utah legislature passed some landmark legislation. It afforded equal rights to two groups. One, lesbians and gays, and the other was the religious. Now, keep in mind that Utah is a very religious state, a very Republican state, a very Mormon state. But by linking these two concerns, both sides seem to have won. At least, that's the take of Jonathan Rausch, who's a senior fellow at Brookings. He's the author of Gay Marriage, Why It's Good for Gays, Good for Straits, and Good for America. Also, his memoir, Denial, My 25 Years Without a Soul. He joins me now. Hello, Jonathan. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for coming on. So, to me, this seemed like a gain for something that was quite worthy, which is gay rights in Utah, and something that... I will quite frankly say I didn't know was such an issue that the religious are being discriminated against. So I'll start by asking you, what does the legislation do to fight discrimination against gays and religious people? The legislation does two things simultaneously. First, in a state which until last week had zero discrimination protections for people based on sexual orientation, it now protects gay people from discrimination in housing and employment. So you don't get fired for being gay in Utah anymore. That's no longer legal. And that's a big deal for 55,000 LGBT Utahns who are directly affected by this bill. A sticking point in these bills in the past has been, well, wait a minute. What about Brigham Young University wanting to have, oh, I don't know, dorms that don't allow same-sex couples or whatever. This bill says there's some specific cases that are going to have exemptions and based on religious belief. And it does a good job defining those exemptions, in my opinion. So they're common sensible. They're narrow. They don't include anyone who claims religion being able to discriminate against a gay person. It's religious organizations and churches, and there's exemptions for small businesses as well. So it gives both sides some protection, and that's why this deal worked, and that's why it's a potential landmark and potentially a model for other states. Is having the anti-religious discrimination component of it, do you view that more of a fine compromise, a pill to swallow, or even something to concede that's not that big a concession? Or do you view that more as if we should, we should have some anti-religious discrimination protections? Yeah, sure. That itself would be a good thing. Religion plays a special role in American life and in the Constitution. And that's why the First Amendment to the Constitution carves out special protections for religion. And on that basis, I've always felt that it makes sense to make some room in the law for reasonable religious accommodations. For example, 
the Amish drive around in buggies, and they use steel wheels on these buggies, and that doesn't pass ordinary regulatory muster. GM can't put steel wheels on its cars. But it's a good thing if we can say, okay, reasonably speaking, religious people can do this. Now, the hard part's drawing the line, right? You don't want to make an exemption so broad that it swallows the rule. What's good about Utah is that the legislators in both the House and the Senate, especially the Senate, and the local gay rights group, Equality Utah, led by a very smart law professor, and representatives of the Mormon Church, which announced that they wanted the passage of an anti-discrimination bill, sat down, worked very hard in some very difficult sessions for a period of weeks to hammer it out, and came up with something that everybody thought was a win, proving it can be done. Yeah, I get that. I would just, I mean, my, my I think uh, compromise is a fine ideal. I think besides coming together and seeing each other. I mean, I think from a practical standpoint, one thing this legislation does is it gets religious people to actually empathize with the plight of gay people and to think, oh, I see there's an analogy here. I see this is legitimate what you're going through. So all that's all that's for the good. I'll definitely concede that. I'm just thinking in a place I live, which is, you know, New York City in a very liberal place, if religious people wanted this linkage, you know, I wouldn't think that there'd have to be the concession. Now, I don't want the perfect to be the enemy of the good. And if you could get this legislation passed in a state like Utah, where I don't think you could get it passed, I'd be all for that. But I think it is a compromise less than an ideal. Hmm. Well, I think it's more of an ideal than a compromise. Uh, I think where you get a social win-win, where both sides think they've come out with stronger rights and more social safety than they went in with, that's, that's a good thing. But either way... It's a step forward because now there are only 28 states in the country instead of 29 in which it's perfectly legal to discriminate against people on grounds of sexual orientation. Jonathan Rausch, senior fellow at Brookings, author of Gay Marriage, Why It's Good for Gays, Good for Straits, and Good for America. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Thank you. These days, you're going to be hearing the following phrases as you watch basketball. He sent it in from way downtown, or they're not even showing up, they're just mailing it in. Or you should use a scale to see how much that postage weighs before you send it to Zimbabwe. All right, that last one you're not going to hear. That's very specific to mailing things and that the actual play of basketball. But if you are going to mail things, if you're the kind of person who mails a lot of things, bulk postage, wants to know how much it costs to ship to Zimbabwe, stamps.com is there to tell you. Because what they do is they allow you to print out postage on your own computer and printer. Don't stand in line at the post office. And they have a program. So they give you a free digital scale and you put your package on the scale and they can tell you what the shipping rates are to every country in the world. It's exactly what you need. The gist has a special offer, which is a no risk trial. It's a $110 bonus offer. It includes a digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. So don't wait. Go to stamps.com. Before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist that stamps.com. Enter the gist from way downtown. Bang. The animals, the animals. animals. Come on, help me, Regina Spector. 
Well, there, that's the theme of Orange is the New Black and the animals, uh, I think, are prisoners in question. But what about the animals? We say that the animals aren't just animals. They're like people. And when we say they're like people, I think we mean they really feel emotions. Or do they? Joining me now is Maria Konnikova to play the animal edition or the animal emotion edition of Is That Bullshit? Hello, Maria. How are you? Hey, Mike. How are you? I'm well. And the reason I'm well is I had a lovely hairless cat walking across my back the other night. And I was saying, she gets me. She really gets me. But does she get me? When we say animals have emotions or experience emotions, I think we usually mean just a couple emotions, right? Nothing too complex. Sadness, joy. Those are the basic emotions we impart to the animals, right? I would beg to differ. I think people do get more complex. We say, you know, he feels sorry for me. Right. He's empathetic. Like, right. my dog really can anticipate how I'm feeling. I think people really do think that they're dogs, they're cats yeah. especially, but I think all animals, they're horses. Or taking, or taking pleasure in the suffering of other dogs, which is called, of course, Schadenfido. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to go with shagging Freud. <laughs> Sh- shaggy Freud. That's good. Shaggy Freud. So do they experience shaggy Freud or the other emotions? Well, it's a really interesting question. Because when when we try to figure out how a human is feeling, how do you do that? You you say, how are you feeling? Ask them. Yeah. Yeah. And the human says. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then you move on from there. Um, and, and then you call a, a doctor. Dance. Yes. Yeah. But with an animal, you can't do that. And so we can say, oh, look, you know, this poor elephant is crying because he's been separated from his mother. Mm-hmm. You know, we get viral videos like that at least once a week, if not more, yeah. of animals experiencing emotion, quote unquote. Right. But we don't really have any way of knowing what they're feeling. You know, you can say, yes, this elephant is crying, but is it really what we experience as sadness or is it just stress? Because physiological stress also results in tears. Separate an animal from its mother, it obviously gets very physiologically stressed. It has a physiological reaction to that. It cries. Is it feeling sad or is it just a disturbance of its circumstances? Right. And that's important because so many animal lovers hearing this will say, this is as dumb a question as you've ever asked. My dog cries when I'm not there. And then when I'm there, he's happy. Who can't tell when a dog is happy when they're dancing around in a circle and when they look happy or when a cat purrs up against you or when the horse uh, playfully whinnies and gallops around his paddock? But that's not necessarily what we're talking about. No. Well, what we do know, I think what's pretty well established now, is that animals definitely experience valence. So, like, plus and minus, and which is one of the components of emotion. One of the things that has been happening in the last few years is scientists have been looking at what people do, how they think, what they act like when they experience certain emotions. So okay. things you can measure without asking. And then they try to do the same thing to animals and say, hey, do animals have the same sorts of cognitive biases that humans have? Right. And this is what you bring. This is the scientific method. This isn't just looking at the polar bear who's experiencing OCD and batting around his bucket left and right. This is comparing it to things, humans, that we really know have emotions and seeing if uh, the, the reactions are similar. Yeah. So there's, for instance, we know that when you're happier, when you're sad, 
you actually react to the world in different ways. When you're... For instance, when you're happy, you clap your hands, if you know it. <laughs> right. That's absolutely true. Yes. And it turns out honeybees clap their wings when really? they're happy. Mm, yes, absolutely. No, they don't. But we do Damn. know that when honeybees are angry, yeah. so when you, if you agitate them, they start behaving very similarly to an agitated human. When you give them something ambiguous, which could either be good or bad, and they have to interpret it, like, is this friend or foe? Should I approach this? Should I stay away? If they're just kind of regular honeybees flying around, they're about, you know, they, they might go see what it is. If you've just done something really bad to them and they're in a really agitated state, they're going to act like a human would. They're going to avoid that. They're going to say that's bad. So we can do something like that. Mm-hmm. Or we can do something like make a sheep happy. There's a study that was done a few years ago on sheep where they first confined sheep in a really small space. It sounded absolutely heartbreaking. I started crying. I don't know if the sheep were crying, but I definitely was reading the study. And then they release the sheep and they see, is it going to explore these new buckets of stuff? And it doesn't know what it is. What happens is the sheep that have been released, they're so happy to be free that they explore, which is what we do when we're happy. We go and look at the outside world. And regular sheep didn't really care one way or the other. They didn't go exploring. Now, all of this might sound a little bit wishy-washy to you in yeah, the sense of like, so- is this emotion? Right. But this is unfortunately as good as we, we can do. get. Yeah. It seems to me that the valence you're talking about, that describes the valence. Like right. Exploring, right. exploring a bucket is just right. as indicative of that's, a real emotion that's exactly as my dog right. So now we have, yeah. we, have more, we have more things like that. We're starting to get into the brain science of it a little bit. So you can show, you can put a, a, an awake monkey or chimpanzee in a scanner and you can show it different pictures that should elicit different types of emotions. And you can put a human in a scanner, do the same thing. And you see that the monkeys activate pretty similar parts of the brain when it's an emotionally valenced photograph. Whereas if it's just like a neutral photograph, they don't have that reaction. So on some level, we know that there is some sort of a physiological response. But it's almost impossible, at least for now, to get at a level beyond that to say, well, you know, what can we say apart from good or bad? Yeah. And it seems like we really can't. It's degrees of good or bad. Definitely when it's a completely instinctive reaction, like we have all the time, you know, when you're afraid, that's an emotion. But it's often instinct Yes. as well. I won't step on the answer. But it does seem like the question, do animals experience emotion, a lot of it actually comes down to, well, it depends what you mean by emotion. And the second wave of that answer is actually the emotions that humans experience might not be emotions as much as valence either. That's exactly right, because we don't really have a good definition of emotion. If you talk to any two emotional researchers, they're going to give you their own definition. There's nothing that the field agrees on. But even if you could get them to agree, I think you do come against the second thing, which is, well, you can talk about this philosophical thing until the cows come home. Sorry, we're, we're adding some cows in here now. Happy cows, bad cows, we <laughs> exactly. don't know. Yeah. Because how do I know that the happiness I'm feeling is the same as the happiness you're feeling? All right, so here we go. Animals feel happiness and sadness and fear. In other words, animals feel emotion. Is that bullshit? Sort of, and yes and no. Sure, they do insofar as we know that they experience certain positive and negative reactions. But 
do they experience them the same way as we do? Is it emotion the way that we think of it? We have no way to tell. Do animals mourn? <laughs> well, um, we have some contradictory evidence on that. Uh-huh. Last year, there was a video that was recorded of two monkeys in a tree. I believe they were macaques, but I might be mistaken. And one fell off and unfortunately died. And the other one climbs down the tree and is really, really upset. And you can see him, you know, pacing around and really acting like a human. And you say, see, I told you, animals definitely experience loss and grief. And then something funny starts to happen. And you you, you kind of look in bewilderment and you say, wait, what? Oh, Oh, and what happened, obviously, was that he decided, well, if my monkey mate is not going to be responsive, maybe we can have sex. And that's what happens at the end of this video that was caught. So your reaction quickly turns from this is normal grief to, oh, maybe he wasn't feeling quite what I thought he was feeling. You know what? Let's not judge. We all grieve in our own way. That's very true. Yeah. Who's to say? (laughs) Maria Konnikova, she's a scientist. She writes about science for The New Yorker. She comes in to the gist to play. Is that bullshit? Thank you, Maria. Thank you, Mike. And now the spiel, light and sweet. The CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, is not backing down from his Race Together campaign. He's encouraged his baristas to start a conversation about race. Schultz said he expected the backlash that he's gotten, but he is committed to the effort. Here he's talking to CBS. If we can elevate the understanding and the empathy with one customer per day, and that customer goes home, speaks to their children, goes back to their office, speaks to their coworkers, I think we will have done our job. All right, all right then. And that conversation all starts here in a Starbucks as I debut my newest and latest character, Trevor, the Starbucks barista who wants to talk about race. Okay, we got a half-calf latte for Monica. We got a venti frappuccino for Gert. Gert, Gertie, hey guys, you know, you know guys, the Irish, they are an interesting people, aren't they? And man, do they go crazy on St. Patrick's Day. You know, it's really weird because I love the Irish and I love America. But Irish Americans, you know, streams of whiskey, yeah, but streams of vomit, streams of urine are flowing. I'm just thinking about this. Hold on. Frank, Frank, grande iced tea, unsweetened, Frank. Anyway, there's an average hue in America. Like if we we averaged everyone's skin tone together, it would average out some color. I think that would be a cool website that kept track of the national hue. Or maybe it would be like the dress debate, I see light brown, I see deep umber. Anyway, I, I would love to know what the national U is. You know what I'm saying, Frank? How it has changed over time. I think it would be lighter than mocha, but darker than a light tan. Hold on, speaking of which, amber, amber, skinny peppermint, mocha, amber, amber. There you go. Amber, so anyway, I was thinking, there's this like unwritten rule, which is that if you're within one shade of the national hue, you're under some scrutiny. If you're a shade darker, you're under a lot of scrutiny. If you're a shade or two lighter than the national hue, like the Irish, game on, right? You could do anything. No one's gonna blame you with that you. But then on the other side, I mean, let's just say Latinos acted on Cinco de Mayo like the Irish act on St. Paddy's Day. They would shut that shit down. It'd be like, freak Nick, yo, am I right, Tabitha? Tabitha with the caramel flan latte? Tabitha, you feel me? Anyway, cobber, cobber, espresso macchiato? Cobber, 
Oh man, sorry dude, Connor. Yeah, looks like the B's and the N's, the way they write this on the cup. I'm really sorry, Connor, huh, makes sense. Hey Connor, you know, wait, don't go away, don't go away. I got a racial observation for you, just an observation. I wanna throw this one out there. I would say about 30% of the purple clothing in America is bought by black people. You know what I mean? It's not a judgment, just an observation. It's marketing based. Hey man, this is my job. This is my job, just mixing drinks and talking race. But race, you know, I learned this in Anthropology 101. Race is just a construct, am I right, my man? You know what else is a construct? Cinnamon Dolce Latte. So what you do is you take the espresso with steamed milk and cinnamon Dolce flavored syrup, and you top it with sweetened whipped cream and cinnamon Dolce Latte, and you serve it to Casey. Casey! Casey, hey, Casey, how you doing? What's that short for? Let me guess. Karen Claire, am I right? Oh, ah, not even the initials. It's C-A-S-E. You know, they when they write it on the cup, you can't. I'm sorry, ma'am. Very sorry. Anyway, Casey, want to throw this at you before you leave. You ever notice you never meet a Chinese guy named Rusty? Yeah, I didn't, that's not even mine. That's like a George Carlin joke from 30 years ago. Okay, I'll take the whipped cream off right away. Let's say Andre, Andre, caramel flan, creme frappuccino, blended creme, Andre. Hey, Andre, you know what, my man, maybe next time you should get the tall, not the venti. You know what I'm saying? Heart disease, hypertension in the community, right? Studies are showing that your people, oh, Andre, man, that is cold, man. I can't believe you did that. Now I gotta go get a new apron. Clarissa, can you take over here? I'm just soaked. Also, if you wanna jump in on next week's initiative, I think Heather, who ordered this cappuccino, Heather, I think Heather really wants to hear about your thoughts on a woman's right to choose. Thanks. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi leads all scorers with 23. Managing producer Joel Meyer mixed up the box and one with a matchup zone, keeps the offense off balance. Our executive producer Andy Bowers is going to go two for one if he could get a shot off before the clock hits 50. Let me tell you a little bit about our email, a service we offer. If you go to slate.com slash just email, we will send you an email every day. And in this email will be, hey, the show's up. But not just that. If you click on it, you can listen to the show right there in your email. So that's slate.com slash just email. The gist is part of the Panoply Network. Check out the entire roster of podcasts at iTunes.com slash Panoply. The gist, survive and advance and dress in layers. Thanks for listening. I'm Dahlia Lithwick, Slate Supreme Court correspondent and the host of Slate's Amicus podcast. On our latest episode, what happened to Guantanamo Bay? Once upon a time, it was the only thing the Supreme Court thought about. Recently, not so much. We'll figure out why on this week's Amicus. You'll find that by searching for Amicus in the iTunes store or by visiting slate.com slash podcasts.